Holy Spirit of God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, let what is said, Lord, be honoring to you. Let it present clearly what you want to say. And then we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts, that we would hear and obey. Still our hearts, Lord, to hear what you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're coming this Sunday after a really long time. Two years of pandemic and maybe six months or so of being in the church all together. And next Sunday, church ministry will try to resume as it always had. Church activities will be restarting after quite a long time. Sunday schools will be starting, there'll be a visitation ministry, and there will be increasing activities and calls for volunteers and encouragement to each one of you to participate. With this in mind, 1 Corinthians 12 was laid on my heart to share with you this morning. Now there's many things in 1 Corinthians 12 which can serve as distractions. There's a huge discussion of what exactly are the spiritual gifts which are talked about. But what I would like to do this morning is just take one step slightly removed from that. I will not be explaining in detail the meaning of the spiritual gifts which are addressed specifically to the church in Corinth. But I would like us to look at the passage as a whole to see if we can abstract some principles which will guide us over the coming months as there will increasingly be a call to get involved and participate in the life of this church and in this body. I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we will be working our way through the whole sermon through the whole passage. If you want to know what percentage of my, my sermon is complete, just see which verse we're at in the chapter and you'll have an indication. Let's start with verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, the Corinthian church, which we'll find was some, a church which had been planted by Paul. We see this in Acts chapter 18. Paul had stayed with them for about one and a half years, and it was an incredibly blessed church. There was all sorts of gifting that the church had. And yet it was a very immature church. All sorts of factions and groups in this church. I belong to this group. I want to be, I'm a supporter of this pastor and I'm a supporter of that pastor. And Paul at one point had to say, I'm treating you like babies. I wish that you were as mature as you say you are. But actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to send Timothy to you so that he can correct things among you. Let's see if all of your big talk is accompanied by the power of God. And he almost sounds like an exasperated father at one point. Should I come and encourage you or should I be bringing the rod, the rod of discipline? As I said, it was a church with all sorts of immaturity, factions in the church, sexual sin, which even the pagans would have blushed at, all sorts of lawsuits between believers, and the inability to know how to use 
the Christian freedom which God had blessed them with. Paul had to instruct them in what would have seemed so basic to those who had been so blessed. And finally, he has to tell them, use your freedom for the benefit of the body. Let everything you do be done for the glory of God. Now, as we come to Romans chapter 12, we are given an indication that Paul is giving some information in response to a question that he would have received. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, what I think the, the, the Corinthian church did is they asked Paul a question because they intended him to praise them. He was, they were asking him, hey, can you give us some instruction about spiritual gifts? And what they were expecting it was an apostolic pat on the back. You guys are doing so great. Just continue to do what you're doing. And instead, Paul lays out some principles. He says, essentially, don't get so carried away in the use of your gifts that you lose sight of the fact that gifts are given for the exaltation of Jesus. Could you imagine a church where they are so enamored with their gifts that they are able to use them to the point where they would utter words like, Jesus is accursed. And what Jesus wants us and what Paul wants the readers here is to be humble. Remember who you were before you were saved. You were following mute idols. Have some humility. How easy for it is for us to forget Jesus somehow when we're in the deep of doing ministry. There is a phrase sometimes that people use, they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Have you heard that phrase before? And there's some of us that can adopt that and they're like, look, you guys can pray in the corner, but I'm going to be the one who goes and gets the ministry done. And in doing so, sometimes we can be so focused on getting things done that we don't realize the communication of our life and the effect of our gift is not the exaltation of Christ. Therefore, he says in verse 3, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord. Now, a hallmark is an impression that is made on precious metals. For those of you who have a wedding band, if you pull it off, if you have a look inside, there will be a little indentation, which is a mark. And that mark attests to the purity and also the manufacturer, the person who made the gold or the silver that is on this ring of yours. In the same way, when we have service and gifts that are presented before our Lord, the hallmark that it is a pure gift sourced from the Holy Spirit is the exaltation of Christ and the lordship of Christ, which is demonstrated in the life of the one exhibiting the gift. In Corinth, they may have pursued gifting regardless of whether it ultimately exalted Jesus. Now we can look at them, oh, how foolish they were. Couldn't they see the obvious disconnect? And yet how often in our service do we honor the lordship of Jesus by the use of our gifts? Does the use of our gifts exalt our Savior? Can we be so caught up in leading worship that we can be short-tempered with the people who are running the sound desk?
Do we use our gifts to exalt our Savior? Or are we just trying to get ministry done? Can we be so ignorant in our service that we forget Jesus is Lord? As we respond in the coming weeks, and maybe even this morning, to the call for involvement in this church and in the ministries, let us, I encourage us, serve in the power of the Spirit, doing all that we do and being all that we are for the praise of his glory, for the exaltation of Christ and for the lordship of Christ. Let the very way we do things, the way we conduct the prayers before we lead worship, the way we involve people in Sunday school ministries, the way we visit people, maybe the way even we pick up people who are slightly late when we're going to visit someone. Let all of that be done such that the savor and the aroma of Christ percolates everything that we do. Let's move on. There are a variety of gifts. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, verse 4. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I wonder whether Paul, when he received this question from the Corinthians, he wondered, I smell the seeds of another cause for division and factions in this church. Maybe he already saw the division of the church, not just I'm for Paul and I'm for Apollos. It was, we're the gifted party. We're the ones who use our spiritual gifts and those are the ones who don't do so. Paul would remind us all of the gifting, all of the activities, all of the service finds its source in the same Lord. If there is a common picture which is sown by the right use of our spiritual gifts, it is a picture of Christ exalted. And where does that picture sit? It sits on the fabric of the Holy Spirit. Jesus and his Holy Spirit and the Father are the common source for all of the gifts which are in the church. We too have the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us that all believers have the indwelling Spirit. And in fact, we know we have the Holy Spirit because the Spirit testifies with our spirit, telling us that we are the children of God. And there are a variety of gifts from this Spirit. As one commentator has, has written, the diversity of gifts does not point to a diversity of divine purpose. There is but one purpose, but many giftings given to the body. We also see in these verses that it is the Spirit and the Lord and God. In fact, even the whole work of the whole Trinity here, bestowing gifts on his people. Let's listen to the great Charles Spurgeon. Whatever our gifts as a church or as individuals may be, they all come from the self-same Spirit. This should tend to promote unity among us. Let us all trace whatever gift we hand to the hand that gave it and to the spirit that wrought it. Let us feel that we are so many pipes connected to one fountain. And therefore, as all the good that we convey comes from one source, let us give all the honor and glory of it to the spirit of God from whom it all comes. 
Don't forget the source as you serve. It is so easy if you forget where the source of your gifting is that you can tend into self-righteousness and self-reliance. Our, uh, our gifts and our abilities are not badges of pedigree or of superiority to one another. God's Spirit, in His wisdom, has distributed the gifts among the church. Remember, God is the source. Now, that's something that you may say, that's something that needs to be reminded to the people that exalt their gifts among others. But let us remember those of us who perhaps feel timid in the use of our gifts. We feel we have but little to bring. God is the source of your gift too. Bring the little gift that you have and use it even in the smallest way that Christ our Savior would be exalted. That even with the little that you have, the little that God has blessed you with, let the Lordship of Christ be evident as you use even that small thing to the benefit of everyone in the church. And that's precisely where we will go in our, as we move on in this passage. Gifts exalt Jesus. God is the source of all gifts. And what we will learn in the next section is the variety of gifts are given for the common good. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another the, the, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing uh, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Each one received a manifestation of the Spirit. Each one received a gift. But why did they receive it? Think back to the possible factions that they could have been in the church at Corinth. And Paul reminds his, uh, his hearers, maybe while they were fishing for compliments on how great they had been in the use of their spiritual gifts, all of the gifts are given for the common good. There is one spirit, and he gives these gifts for the common good. They're not just reserved for a few spiritual people. He gives to all without distinctions for the common good. Let us hear the words from 1 Peter. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should speak the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the honor forever and ever. Amen. See the logic of these passages now. Gifts are given for the exaltation of Christ. God is the source of all the gifts. Gifts are given for the common good. So what we can conclude by this, if we stitch all of these things together, is that when you are truly working and expressing your gifts for the common good, the result of it is that Christ our Savior is exalted. Amen. 
The Corinthian church given to factions, they could have easily used this amazing amount of gifting that had been given to a cancerous use. And they had done it so far. They had taken loyalty to leaders and taken it to the point of factions. They had taken something beautiful as their sexuality and twisted it into something ugly. They had taken their freedom in Christ and made it something which was a stumbling block to weaker believers. Paul smells this and warns them and guides them that this gifting that they had received, a blessing from the Lord, was not twisted to create factions and groups within the church. You may wonder that you have nothing to bring, nothing to offer. But help us, I pray that you are struck by these words. Be surprised that God has given you some gifting, some ability to serve for the common good. All of these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God has distributed the individual gifts and abilities. Now some of the gifts are listed here. Gifts of wisdom and knowledge, special faith and healing, miracles and prophecies, discernment and tongues. And as I said, I'm not going to address these specific gifts which were written to the, uh, that the, the church in Corinth had in the first century. However, the Spirit was the source of all of these gifts. Now, this gift list was not intended to be an exhaustive list. We see in the book of, uh, book of Romans, other gifts were listed as well. The gift of being able to teach, to encourage one another. The gift of giving, the gift of leading, the gift of expressing mercy to other people. And even later on in this passage, we see Paul expressing people who have the gift of helping other people. Whatever your gifting is, and maybe we don't have the ecstatic, amazing gifts of the Spirit that were there in the first century. Nevertheless, use your ability to the best of your capability for the exaltation of Christ our Savior. For it is God who has distributed all of these giftings as he wills. He has a design in the thing that he gave you when he placed you in this local body. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now what Paul essentially does here is he, he introduces the illustration that he's going to use in a moment which he's going to apply to the use of gifting in the church, but he presents it in a place where it was already accepted in the church. Fortunately, the Corinthian church did not seem to have any problem of separations and factions in the church based on people being Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. So he says, just as, they are, just as your body has many parts, your physical body, so it is with Christ. And here he uses Christ as a synonym for the whole church, essentially saying the church is just like a human body. And you've already accepted that. You've already accepted that there's different types of people, just like there's different parts of the body, and there's one, yet there is one body. Now he will take the illustration, and then he'll move it on and say we can also apply this same illustration to people who are gifted in different ways. So remember where we have come from. 
Gifts exalt Jesus. God is the source of all gifts. A variety of gifts are given for the common good. God distributes all these gifts as he wills. And even though the Spirit of God is the unity and the source of all the various gifts, the Corinthian church may have been tempted to use this as a way of showing distinction between the body. And Paul wants to show the unity that there is in the body, regardless of the variety of gifts which have been distributed. At Christmas time, there is not much peace and quiet in my home. And one of the activities that I love to do is to go into the basement and put some music on and quietly do a jigsaw puzzle. As I'm doing the jigsaw puzzle, my children come to me and they ask me to be involved. And sometimes I say yes, but sometimes I say no. But most of the time I graciously say yes. One of the times during this activity, which is most looked forward to, is when the puzzle's coming to its completion. And what I will do at this point is I will hand out various pieces of the puzzle to my children for them to be involved and for us all to complete this puzzle together and to remember what a loving and joyous and happy family we are all together. <laughs> so that one day we will look at that picture on the wall in our kitchen and say, do you remember what a loving and peaceful family we are? Oh, how comes I got the blue sky? Such a boring piece. I wanted the piece with the car on it. Ha ha, I got the car. You didn't get the car. Oh, why do I have to do that part of the ocean? So, boy, so difficult. Yeah, but I let you do the ocean because you're more capable. Oh, why did he get ten pieces? I only got four pieces. Can you see the analogy? God, in his wisdom, has given out gifts because he has a purpose. He wants that picture of Christ exalted, placed, and exalted. So we can all look to it and say, look, we all contributed, but Christ our Savior is exalted. And when we take those little bits of giftings and we find ways of bickering with one another or seeing a distinction that we have, oh, I wish I was able to do that kind of ministry. Therefore, I will not serve. I can only serve if I'm going to be in the pulpit. I can only serve if I'm going to be at the piano. I'm only going to serve if I'm doing this or that. The church as a whole suffers when we have this kind of attitude. And it is these types of attitudes, two of them in particular, that Paul addresses in the next two sections. The first section is people who say they have a non-membership complex. Okay, so verse 14. For the body does not consist of one part, but of many. If the foot says, since I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, does that make it any less part of the body? Does it? And if the ear says, since I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, does that make it any, an any lesser part of the body? Does it? If the whole body were an eye, where would its sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would its sense of smell be? But now God has arranged the parts, every one of them, in the body according to his plan. Now if all of it were one part, there, would be, there wouldn't be a body, would there? So there are many parts, 
but one body. The body doesn't consist of only one part, but of many. This is applied to spiritual giftings. The church body does not consist of people that only have one gifting. Diversity, as one commentator mentions, is not an accidental attribute of the church. It is its very essence. No member is to be equated or no skill or gift is to be equated with the body. It takes many members to make up the body. Now this word is written to those who say, seeing those people who are very gifted, they say, well, I'm not going to be involved because I'm not, that, I'm not skilled in that way. I'm not gifted in that way. Yet that kind of self-talk does not eradicate and does not negate the fact that you are indeed part of the body. If your foot said to you, I'm not a hand, therefore I'm not part of the body, you say, well, you're still connected. You can say what you like, but you are still connected. Imagine the foot saying that since I'm not a hand, or the ear saying I'm not an eye. The first point is, is that the complex does not change the reality. Your gifting or your service or your activities with relation to what other people have in the body is no commentary on the fact that Christ has saved you, you have been baptized into this body by the Spirit. Don't compare yourselves with one another and let that be the source of feeling that you are not part of the body, not included, not joined to Christ. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, it does not belong to the body, would that make it any less a part of a body? Does it? Here's Spurgeon again. Where are you, dear child of God, who are in the position of a foot? Have you compared yourself with some eminent Christian who did much in his master's service? And have, and have you sorrowfully asked, what can I do? Why can't I do what he has done? I'm only a poor foot, always touching the ground, often limping, and frequently needing to be washed. Well, suppose you could be made into the hand. It might be a gain to you in some respects, but it might be a loss to the rest of the body. It would certainly be a loss for any of you if your foot was converted into a hand. For you have need of feet, and the church, which here is called by the name of Christ, needs its feet as much as it needs its hands. The mercy is that even if you have in your anxiety, perhaps I ought to say in your unbelief, been saying, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It does not matter what you have said, for it does not alter the fact you belong to the body. So the body may say what it will. Inclusion in the body is on the basis of God's grace. And don't you think it is a good thing that the thing that the foot wishes for is not actually realized in the body? Have you ever tried to spend a long time supporting your weight on your hands and you suddenly realize how unsuited your hands are for supporting the weight of your body? Your hands ache and your wrists ache, but you can stand on your feet for hours. In the same way in the church body, if you wish and you try to force yourself to have the gifting of, other, uh, of others 
When God has not given you that way, the church as a whole suffers. Forcing yourself to be a hand makes it almost, uh, a foot to be a hand makes it almost impossible for the body to walk. He repeats it again. And what if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. He repeats here. Again, the complex that you have if you compare your abilities to others in the church does not not remove you from your unity and oneness in Christ. Now, an ear, even if it hears badly, serves better as an ear than it would as an eye. Now, the problem is, is that we have been too influenced by cartoons that we watch. Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be its sense of hearing? Because what happens when we imagine that? We imagine an eye, a huge eye, but it still has two little feet and eyes and a mouth and a face, and he can kind of talk and respond. That's not what he's talking about here. In fact, one way of translating this verse could be, imagine if the whole body were I, not an I, were I, it's just I. I, I, and nothing but I. You, you could realize, like, this thing cannot even survive, you know. So therefore, in this imagining of like, oh, yes, if only I had that kind of gifting, and if everyone in the church was like that. No, the vision of the body which is being created in that inferiority is something far short of the glory that God has planned for, for the body to have as a whole. Our solution would end up with having, with, with having a non-functional body. Now, I thank God that there are people who are willing to play what are seemingly smaller parts in the church. Imagine if you went to an orchestra and the person who was playing the timpani felt that he didn't want to be included just because he was not the soloist. You know what the timpani is? It's the huge kind of kettle drum. Dum, 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 you know. Imagine if he insisted on playing the whole time during the orchestra, and not only playing the whole time, trying to play the melody. Could you imagine what a disaster it would be? His role in the orchestra is to count 84 bars of silence. 84, I knew a guy who did this as his job counting hundreds of bars of silence and then coming in at just the right moment when the timpani comes in and the whole thing's building up and he's, he's, uh, he's helping the whole climax of the orchestra. Wow, it's amazing when that one little part, imagine if he just said, oh, well, because I'm not the violinist and I'm not the soloist, I'm not coming. And because I can't play the solo all the time and because I can't play the melody, I'm not participating. So it is with the body of Christ. Don't feel that your small part which you have to play is inferior. God, in his wisdom, has given you this part. But as it is, God arranged the members of his body, each one of them as he chose. So let us, each one of us, acknowledge the wisdom of God. He alone knows the functions that the whole body should have. He's the only one that sees from the outside the whole composition that the body should have. He's the one that coordinates things from age to age to age. He is the one that coordinates the distribution of gifts, even among local churches. 
There's a whole bunch of gifted people in Montreal, and God has brought this perfect selection of people here to this local body. God has arranged them in his wisdom. Let us not take those giftings and abilities that God has distributed by his grace and let them in any way cause us to doubt our inclusion in the body of Christ. Let us remember that God is God. God is the one who has the prerogative to determine the constitution of the body. God is the one who determines the giftings that we have even within this sanctuary. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet there is one body. There is no functioning body if everyone was the same type of member. We can look at those who are gifted, and I'll tell you honestly, we have been gifted with amazing pastor who's got a gift of preaching. World-class ability to preach God's word. But don't, because you see him, say, just because I don't have his gifting, I won't serve in any way at all. If the whole church constituted, constituted of preachers, there'd be no one in the congregation. <laughs> Therefore, serve your function. Embrace the differences of gifts. Now, I'd just like to pause here and say maybe you have never stepped out and never served in the church, and I would encourage you to do so. Take baby steps. Maybe the smallest baby step is not even doing something great. Attend the Bible study or the prayer meeting. Commit this day for the next three months. I'm going to come to the end of month prayer concert, and I'm going to pray for this church. Maybe you have the gift of meeting with people and greeting them, and just, I'm not one to stand at the front. Come early. Adopt one of the, the, the shut-ins and start visiting them. Maybe the gift that God's given you is your sociable. Start interacting with people in different ethnic groups than yourself. Start befriending the Farsi people. Speak to them on Sunday. Commit yourself to praying to everyone on the deacon's care list. There are so many small functions which are not insignificant. And imagine if the whole church, this is what I call godly imagination. Imagine if all of us were, were, were expressing all of our small gifting and our larger giftings. Imagine what this place would be like. Oh, I pray that God by his spirit would help us to have godly imagination of what this church could be like if we were all serving in the capacity that we, were, uh, that we could. Now, Chrysostom uh, was a, one of the church fathers, and he gave a little warning. Don't let your envy of those who have just a little bit more gifting than you stop you from serving. Maybe you're able to, to teach, but you say, oh, because I'm not as good as Brent, I won't teach at all. Maybe you're able to play the music, but because you can't play music like someone else in the church, say, well, I'm not going to get involved at all. Maybe you're, you take baby steps and you're able to lead worship a little bit, but then you see people that have been leading worship for decades and you wonder, okay, well, I don't have a place. Don't let someone who's just that little bit ahead of you in faith stop you from participating. Now, unarguably, there are people that are really gifted and thank God for them. But I would just challenge you, most of the time I have seen people who serve extensively in the church, 
it's not necessarily because they are amazingly gifted and they just jump in. It's mainly because they take what they've got and they're obedient to the Lord and God blesses them. And then they get better at what they're doing. And then they see another need and then they help out in another place. And then God blesses them. And then soon you're wondering, whoa, look at this person. They're doing 10 different things in the church and they're always serving. Yeah, but they didn't start out like that. Who knows what God wants to do with your life? If you would come and say, Lord, all I can do is shake hands at the front door. Now, Paul, at this point, he switches to the other side of the spectrum. Those who would have a superiority complex. Those who would say, ha ha, I got the piece with the car on it. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Again, our problem is, is that we imagine parts of the body as having legs and feet and hands. You could have like a guy with you know, the nose people over here, but they're still able to have mobility. And you have the ear people and they're still able to speak and talk. No, the whole idea is, is that we have an interdependence on one another. If an eye just sat here on the stage, come here a week later and it will be dried up and the sanctuary will be stinking. Eyes need hands. Just imagine what your body does instinctively when you hit bright light. Hands immediately come to the eyes to protect them. Imagine if an eye said, I don't need you eyelid. What kind of function do you? You don't bring visual images into the brain. You're just a piece of skin. Imagine what your body would be like if you didn't have an eyelid. How could your eye even function if you didn't have a small thing like an eyelid? On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and those parts that we think are less honorable we bestow with greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God has intentionally comprised the body of people who have different types of giftings, some that are deemed to be weaker and less honorable and less presentable. But he's done that with a purpose. And the purpose of that is that there might be no division in the body. God has given, the, has purpose that there would be a diversity of gift for the purpose of unity. Furthermore, God has given different types of gifting such that we would care for one another. We are not just supposed to care for those who are in our little group who are just all the same as us. And how I've, I wish that we would see increasingly in this church the unity of Christ seen as everyone mixes with one another. People who are gifted and people who are not gifted. People who are from one nationality and another nationality. Older and younger, younger richer and poorer, not educated and not educated. Imagine someone coming in here and saying, look, the only reason I could imagine that any of these people would be with each other is because of Jesus. 
Furthermore, those who seem to be gifted, the reason why God has given them gifting is uh, there's a variety of gifts. He's composed the body in this way is so that we would care for one another, one another. If God has given you a gift and he has blessed you, go and care for those in the bodies. Love them. Don't just, you know, I'm, I've, I've got my ministry and I need to get it done and I'm going to get it done regardless of what people think. Go and care for one another. The composition of the body with weaker and indispensable parts, parts which are designed for honor and modesty. Help us to not have division in this church just because people have different levels of gifting. Remember how your body reacts to see how much interdependence there is. Seemingly unrelated parts of your body. Imagine if your eyes said, I don't need you to the elbow. But how many times would your, your hand come up like this if your eyes were threatened in any way? We need to be reminded of this interdependence on one another. And he goes straight on to that. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And this only happens when we are so tightly knit together that we feel what others are feeling. It's not just I'm just, you know, I'm so consumed with my ministry that I don't ha I'm not connected. I don't know what's happening with other people in the body. This is what results in an inter interconnected body. Have you ever had a splinter in your hand and it kind of affects your whole being? Something stuck in your teeth and it affects your whole being. Or maybe a bit more serious. You've stubbed your toe really hard. What happens? You can't even see for a split second. Your eyes react. Your brain, you can't even think straight. Someone's asking you a question. It's like, just give me a moment. I stubbed my toe. Can't even think. The brain can't think because the toe got stubbed. That's what it is to feel others' pain. And so it, is, it should be with us. And maybe harder for those who feel superior in other ways because God has gifted them. To rejoice when other people rejoice. Charles Spurgeon again, it is quite easy to suffer alongside those who suffer. Since it is easier for the pride to condescend. However, to rejoice with others who rejoice really requires more maturity and also more, a more comprehensive view that we are one body in Christ. So I would encourage you all, strive for the full functioning of the body. Bring the function and the gifting and the ability that God has given you to exalt Christ our Savior for the common good, all sourced from the Spirit, and use it for God's praise and for God's glory. In closing, I would just like to point us towards the end of the passage. Paul points us in the last, last verse of this chapter, earnestly desire, desire the, the gifts which are most beneficial for the body, and I will show you a more excellent way. Now, that could be seen as, and then he'll go into the great love passage. Remember that that love passage is presented in the context of dealing with a variety of gifts in the church and the question that the Corinthians had. You could say, hey, we just throw out all that stuff with gifts. All we need is to love one another. We just need to love one another. And it's true. Love needs to be the common thread that unites everything in the body. This is what will help us to feel each other's pain 
and to rejoice with those who rejoice. But yet, even after exalting love and the necessity of love, in chapter 14, verse 1, what does Paul say? Keep pursuing love and desire spiritual gifting. It is not that we should say, okay, look, all we need is love. This whole thing about gifting is unimportant. With all of our hearts, let us strive to love one another, but still pursue and develop the gifts that God has given us for the praise and exaltation of Christ our Savior. Let us pray together. Lord, you are the source of all goodness. And any gifting that we have in this church finds its source in you. And in your wisdom, you have given us different abilities and capabilities, Lord. Help all that we do to exalt Christ our Savior. Help all that we are, the people that we be, to be people under Christ's Lordship. Help us to remember, Lord, for those who have but humble gifts. Help us to serve even in the small way that you would have us serve. For those of us who have been gifted more, Lord, help us to encourage and care and love those and serve those who seemingly have smaller parts to play, Lord. We pray that you would use all of these things, Lord, for the praise of your name. Let love infiltrate and knit us all together so that as one body we would grow into maturity and know Christ who is indeed the head of the body. In Jesus' name, amen.